Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, what's up? It's Nolan from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are an automotive history show. This week, we're talking the life story of Gilles Villeneuve, Canada's most important Formula One driver, This guy is a national hero up there and truly one of the greats taken from us too soon. He started out racing snowmobiles when he was a teenager. He invented one of the most important snowmobile innovations ever, which is crazy for a Formula One driver to do, and eventually became just one of the most legendary drivers of the 1970s. This guy raced for such a short time, but had such a large impact, and it was super cool to talk about a Quebecois racing legend. That's Past Gas by Dona Media, available anywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Number one automotive podcast, Past Gas. During the 80s and early 90s, Pablo Escobar was the richest, most ruthless cocaine trafficker in the world. At the height of his career, his cartel was responsible for 80% of the cocaine traffic in the United States, and Pablo was raking in around $70 million a day. What? That's more than $25 billion a year. But between the police, the Colombian army, and the rival cartels, Pablo Escobar was also the most wanted man in the world. He spent most of his reign dodging bullets in jail time. Once, he even offered to pay off Colombia's $10 billion national deficit just to avoid an extradition treaty with the United States. But before his life was monopolized by drugs, money, and gang wars, Pablo was a man with a simple dream, to be a race car driver. And for two memorable seasons on the Colombian circuit, Pablo cheated and stole his way onto a championship podium. But how did he do it? What driver did he bring up on the way? And did everyone know his real job? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Today on Pass Gas, the brief but insane racing career of cocaine kingpin Pablo Escobar. Pass Gas Podcast. It's about cars, it's not about ports. Uh, I do want to announce our very <laughs> new unofficial sponsor. Totally unofficial. Fago, the unofficial drink of the Passcast podcast. We're not allowed to drink anything else. Uh, they say that we can be hydrated through Fago. 
What? Can't drink water. We're yeah, not I know. Drink I know water. Not the, the wording of through Fago. Yeah, is, you can get hydrated through Fago. Yeah. So I uh, try <laughs> 270 gallons. Yeah. <laughs> try adding. <laughs> That's a lot. It's got 70 milligrams of potassium. That's a lot. No fruit juice at all. <laughs> 145% of my total carbohydrates for the day. <laughs> wow. 66 grams of sugar. This is a lot. Okay, I'm going to so try more. All those oh, are from crack, sugar. Should we crack them open yeah. before we start the show? Pineapple watermelon yeah. is yeah, really everybody consider, go around. Consider yeah. adding fago to your holiday table <laughs> in wonderful flavors like cotton candy, red pop, red pop. and pineapple yeah, watermelon. All right. Here we go. Let's go. First taste. Exclusive first taste. This does not fit in my macro. <laughs> Fago's good for you. <laughs> it's great. It's good. <laughs> my red dude. Pop. This is tastes like very red. good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is very, very good. This actually has <laughs> 2,000% of your daily intake of red dye five. So that's nice. <laughs> 2,000. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting on my yellow 40 for the day. <laughs> yeah, I got blue 11. <laughs> it is actually pretty good. Dude, it's so good. This tastes so good. Uh, I understand the obesity epidemic right now. I don't really like mine. Really? Yeah. What are you thinking? You're not be allowed like to cactus? say that. Uh, yeah. I don't have COVID if you want to try it. You're not allowed to say it. You're not allowed oh, to say I, it. Uh, you don't really I, like how there's a, a limited amount. No, no, no. I really, I really yeah. love the variety of flavors that Fago offers. Just like Fago's available in a three liter, uh, this ain't a twenty ounce bottle. This is a twenty three ounce bottle. Because they also sponsor Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Jordan and Fago. Wow. All right. Well, thank you, Fago, for thank you, Fago. Uh, unofficially sponsoring oh. the show. Nick is handing us oh, more flavors. Yeah, we Great. Got, there's cola. Uh, more flavors there's like orange. cola and orange. These Classic are more orange. standard flavors. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try a cola. Try the cola, Joe. Try the goddamn cola, Joe. Oh my god, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I really believe you. This time. so good, dude. Oh, oh this one it. is flat already. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, you are a terrible hmm. spokesman. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to get sponsored by Fago, and you're like, well, I don't really like this one. Oh, this one. This is how you get their attention. No, though, it's so, actually you're sponsors. negging a brand. <laughs> it's, it's worked. <laughs> It it worked. It does work. It is so good. I love it. I do have a headache. Uh, uh, but you know who else dealt in addictive uh, things that make you feel awesome? Pablo. Oh, wow. Pablo Escobar. Escobar. Right. They make you feel awesome at first. Yeah. yeah. And then they don't. He yeah. probably I did mean, some really bad he stuff. He probably did, did some really, really bad, bad stuff. Yeah. stuff. But he, he also like bad. took care of his people and like Fixed up the uh, favelas and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, it probably doesn't offset all the people that he killed. I think he probably did some really, really bad stuff. But the mythos. Yeah. The mythos and the character That's that folk heroes. has created yeah. of Pablo Escobar Real is folk so hero. funny and cool. Yeah. He's like why I got into drug dealing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, Dude, yeah. Like an Escobar. Yeah. If you think about it, there's a lot of parallels with Tim Allen. Tim Allen and he loves, mm. he's got a racing team. Actually, you know what? Cocaine. I bet Escobar knew Tim Allen. Knew bet, of him. I bet Tim Allen handled some of Escobar's product. Was Tim Allen that big of a coke dealer? Uh, he got busted with at least like a couple pounds. Yeah, I don't think a couple pounds puts you on Escobar's 
radar. I, he might have been just a you know a soldier in the chain. Yeah, probably just a soldier in the chain. That's the saying: a soldier in the chain. You yeah, know, just a soldier in the chain. You What's a goon to a goblin? <laughs> Maybe a goal. All right. <laughs> my name is Nolan Sykes. Welcome to Past Gas, everybody. I'm joined by my co-hosts, James Pumphrey. Bing, bing, bing. That's cool. Yeah. And it's a chainsaw. <laughs> oh, I thought it was Crazy Frog. Uh, no, it's, uh, it's an Eminem song. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, come on, criminal. Yeah. Uh, criminal. Great song. Criminal. I love those early Guys, uh, I'm into M&M glorifying problems. crimes today. <laughs> <laughs> this episode got me glorifying crimes. <laughs> and Joe Weber, what's up, dude? What's up, Wink Wink Nation? I just spilled Fago on my crotch. <laughs> <laughs> what color? Uh, it was this Bullet one. Stain? Oh. Pineapple watermelon. Pineapple That's watermelon. a combination That's a, it, you don't find anywhere. No, and you really, know the backstory of why there's Yeah, so two, the, do you know why uh, like all Celsius flavors and like LaCroix and stuff are two drink, like no, two flavors? No. Like everything's like pineapple watermelon yeah, or yeah. blackberry lemonade or strawberry guava. Mm-hmm. It's because most people know what one of those tastes like. Yeah. Like I know what a strawberry tastes yeah. like. But I don't necessarily ever remember eating a strawberry and a guava together. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I know what lemonade tastes like. I know sure. what a blackberry tastes sure. like. Sure, but I'm not sure I've ever had blackberry lemonade. Yeah, and that's so they can like not nail the flavor. Oh, interesting. There's a, there's a buffer zone. Yeah, interesting. And like even more so, like with prime and uh, drinks like that, they'll have like ice pop. Mm-hmm. It's like, like, what even is that? Yeah, it's yeah. like, I guess this could be frozen. Yeah. It tastes like that. Someone put up that picture of all the monsters the other day. What? Was it scary? <laughs> <laughs> no, all the like tall boys of monster uh-huh. energy, and they're all crazy. One of them is called Ultraviolet. Like, I oh, feel yeah, like yeah, that I would kill it. me. Mix yeah. that with, yeah, makes you ultraviolet. Ultraviolet? <laughs> that, they should just call it that. Well, ultraviolet yeah. rays. No, ultraviolet is what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. That's what it'll make you after you drink it. That's yeah. the other you wink at me. <laughs> no, it's because I have a headache. From the Fago? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I wasn't winking. I was wincing. <laughs> That's because Fago is making your brain bigger. Oh, I don't eat, I don't eat sugar. Oh, yeah. It's, it's kicking in. <laughs> That's how you know it's working. <laughs> it's kicking in. I feel smarter. Uh, oh, it's going to be a good episode, you guys. Yeah. I got all my red 45 in there. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so today we're talking Pablo Escobar. Uh, James, you want to start us off? Yeah. Pablo Emilio Escobar was born into poverty in 1949 in the city of Rio Negro in northwestern Colombia. But his family moved to the regional capital of Medellin when Pablo was young. His school teacher mother and farmer father could barely afford to feed Pablo and his two older siblings a problem that would only get worse in the coming years after his parents added another four children to the family. They just added four more children. Yeah. 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 Like a shopping cart. (laughs) (laughs) Are you sure? What, you ordered four? (laughs) They mean two. (laughs) But Pablo... They only come in two packs. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't see... Oh, it's a four pack? (laughs) Oh... They're big too. <laughs> I thought I ordered little ones. Twenty-three one. ounces. I thought I ordered one little one. I ordered four big ones. <laughs> but big pop- ones, big like ones. today's sponsor, Fago. Fago. Big twenty-three ounces. You think big babies are sweet? You should try big Fagos. 
Do all of them? Have, <laughs> mine is, it's not red pop. It's red pop. It's got an exclamation oh. mark on the end. Yeah. Mine Yours too. is well, pineapple watermelon. This one's orange. <laughs> <laughs> and this one's just cotton candy. Cotton candy. No. Delicious cotton candy. Yeah. Delicious cotton candy. Learning so much about Fago. Okay. But Pablo didn't let poverty keep him from his dreams. He wanted to be president of Colombia someday. Hmm. And in a way, he kind of did end up ruling the country, but not through traditional politics. Foreshadowing. Yeah. Poverty drove Pablo to a life of crime early on. At 12 or 13, according to some reports, he started selling fake diplomas to people who either failed out or couldn't afford to go in the first place. I love that. I love that. That's sick. At the time, Medellin was undergoing a population boom that left nearly half of the residents impoverished. Well, people just keep adding four kids. (laughs) Forced to choose work over education, lots of teenage boys joined gangs or ran schemes like Pablo's fake diplomas. However, Pablo was more enterprising than most. He eventually branched out into selling fake report cards, mm. too. You know, you got to get to the diploma. Yeah. yeah. Someone's like, oh, I got this diploma. And someone's like, really? How about you send me that report card? Yeah, send me <laughs> yeah. report card. God, smartest. dude, progress reports and report cards were the bane of my existence in like yeah. high school, dude. You seem like you were a good student, though. A terrible student in high oh, school. Oh, wow. Well, not terrible. Yeah, what like, about him makes him seem like he was a good student? Yeah, specifically. You're Nolan, studious. Uh, Nolan is uh, textbook succeeds in spite of. No. Yeah. He's very studious. Studio. Uh, yeah. It wasn't until college that I really, I, I had to flunk out of college first oh, yeah. before I like took yeah. studying seriously. I did. I flunked yeah. out of college too. Yeah. Nolan's brain blossomed in his twenties. It did. Yeah. yeah. It, like finally the, the Fago kicked in. Yeah. 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 You started drinking yeah. Fago. I started and drinking Fago. frontal lobe. Yeah, the frontal like lobe. It is like, yeah. Yeah. So that's how that worked. Oh my God. <laughs> Why is orange so many more calories? <laughs> <laughs> well, how many? 310. What? Yeah. Oh my God. It's all that vitamin C they're packing in there to make your brain big. 15 <laughs> grams of fat. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that's why it's kind of like, I've never drank yeah. something gamey before, yeah. you know? Yeah. Mm. Of- yeah. yeah. Just the gamey or something. <laughs> venison. Oh, it's orange venison. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's so they don't have to nail the flavor. <laughs> yeah. I've never had yeah. orange and deer together. <laughs> From the report card scheme, Pablo moved into hustling stolen stereo equipment, as you do. Then he landed on perhaps his most creative venture, stealing tombstones from cemeteries. What? Then sanding down the front until the granite was smooth, and then resell them as brand new headstones. Oh, my God. I mean, you don't need it after you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. By 13, Wait, Pablo- he's doing this all before 13? Yeah. <laughs> if when I was 13, I couldn't pick up a headstone. Yeah. He's buff. That's he should true. have been drinking Fago. <laughs> <laughs> By 13, Pablo had already built the beginning of his criminal enterprise. Soon, Pablo started stealing old cars, gutting them, and selling the parts. Though at some point that year, he must have graduated to reselling entire cars because the 14-year-old was arrested trying to sell a stolen Renault Ford, the most popular car in Colombia. Despite the trouble he was in, Pablo charmingly convinced the police that he bought the car fair and square, and the cops let him 14. off with a warning. This is this is what hey, I have don't wrong. Worry about what? This is what I have wrong with the series uh, that Pablo Escobar. What's it called? Narcos. Narcos. Yeah, he doesn't have Riz, and you know. 
Pablo Escobar had Riz, right? Sounds like he did if he's able to charm yeah, these police officers. Yeah. yeah, but that didn't come through with a performance. Uh, That's my only note. I loved Narcos. Yeah, it's a good show. It is. Maybe my, it's too similar to you. Just based on, <laughs> you know, like how you yeah, meet just someone, brooding yeah. and like staying in a like yeah. empty swimming pool, you know, like staring <laughs> off. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you know, and like you meet someone, and at first you're like, I don't like that guy, but yeah. it just turns out you're very similar. Yes, that maybe, happens all the time. Yeah, maybe yeah. you're a lot like Pablo Escobar. I've always it wouldn't be the first time someone said it. Yeah, about you. I do love stealing tombstones. You do. Yeah, I've told you to stop, but you just you won't quit. Hey, can I keep a bunch of my tombstones at your house? Yeah. Like a bunch. I'll have, I'll have to talk to Chloe about it, but I she'll be cool with it. Yeah, I don't see her having problem with that at all. Can I keep a bunch of stolen tombstones at your house? While Pablo was briefly detained, he met a man named Alfredo Gomez. Named after the Adams Family guy and spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> That's so <dumb>. <laughs> <laughs> at the time, <laughs> at the time, Gomez was one of the most prominent drug smugglers in Colombia, and he and Pablo hit it off. Maybe Gomez recognized. Hey man, like doing crime? Yeah. All right, <laughs> cool. Maybe you here. <laughs> <laughs> We we ran into each other here in jail. I'm I'm 14. <laughs> I'm 14. Maybe Gomez recognized something special in Pablo, or maybe he just needed another set of hands. Either way, Gomez brought Pablo into his fold and kickstarted his drug smuggling career. And Pablo immediately showed an aptitude for the cartel lifestyle. Within a few months, he was kicked out of school, likely for poor attendance and a penchant for flying off the handle when anyone challenged he him. He kept stealing the chalkboards and selling it back to the school, and they said, They're like can't. huge tombstones. <laughs> <laughs> he brought that same energy to his work in the cartel, where he got into several altercations with other gang members, including a legendary fight with fellow cartel member Julio Tulio Garces, <laughs> a man with a rhyming name. It was one of the few fights that he lost. Pablo was so embarrassed over the public knockdown that the next time he was in a street fight with a cartel member named Julio Gaviria, he straight up shot Gaviria through the foot. Indiana Jones style. Yep. Somebody reported the incident to the police, and Pablo ended up spending his first few nights in a Colombian prison. Over the next decade, Pablo's reputation as a brutal and effective cartel member grew, and Alfredo Gomez came to see the young man as a son and true business partner. Lucky. <laughs> Around 1976 and only 27 years old, the two of them co-founded the infamous Medellin Cartel. From there, the cash started pouring in. Soon, this poor boy from the slums of Medellin would be making so much money that he literally wouldn't have the time to launder all of it. He'd have to stash it in Colombian farming fields or dilapidated warehouses. Must be nice. Yeah. To give even more context to his success, the cartel spent $30,000 a year on rubber bands. Oh, my Way. God. Just, That's a flex. Yeah, just to hold all the banknotes together. Dang. Damn. Dang, dude. I wish somebody would have found me when I was in my 20s to start a cartel with me. <laughs> <laughs> Take me under their wing, start a crime syndicate. A crime syndicate. Uh, by the late 70s, 30-year-old <laughs> Pablo Escobar had cash to burn and was looking for a hobby to fill his downtime. He scratched that itch in an unlikely place, 
Rally Racing Renault Fours. That same one he stole. That seems like a legitimate place to launder money. I know oh, yeah. Like oh a, yeah. Yeah. So much money goes through. I mean, I gotta buy tires. Yeah, I gotta. Oh, we spent eighty million dollars on Aero. <laughs> on rubber bands like, for the cars. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> Racing's good because, like, don't you have to get the money back somehow when you launder it, though? Yeah. How would but, you do that with racing? Well, you don't. You laundering is saying that you. That's why you have a front. A so if you have a if you have like yeah, a yeah shop, like a car wash. You can put it in the receipts like you made this much uh, money. I see. Yeah, I see, I see. And then you fake that you sold this much inventory gotcha. to launder that make it clean. I'm convinced that a uh, like taco burrito place I went to many times in 2020 was a front for something. Oh, I'm sure. Every mattress store you've ever been to is a front. <laughs> yeah. Not mine. Have My- you ever been to a donut shop in L.A.? Yeah. Do you think they can pay rent in L.A. selling a 50-cent product? <laughs> For like mm. two hours a day. Nah. <laughs> what donut shops do you go to? <laughs> every shop, every donut shop around me is like packed and it's 24 hours a day. Yeah, but you live in a hipster neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, those donuts cost like $14. You live around a bunch of wealthy white people who are young and are like, I love this weird donut. You know Look, what I mean? I live in a very diverse neighborhood. You live in Chugtown. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's coming from a West Sider over yeah, here. Yeah, West Sider. I live with yuppies. You live with hipsters. Chugtown. <laughs> Chugtown. <laughs> your your church. There's a church down the street called Gryffindor. Called Hogwarts. <laughs> Saint Gryffindor Saint, Rising. Yeah. Saint uh, Saint Weasley's. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Yeah, it's hard to say what about the Renault 4 races caught Pablo's attention. It might seem like an odd choice for a man who could afford a fleet of luxury cars, but Pablo may have had a soft spot for them. They were the cars he started out stealing, after all. At the time, there were Renault 4 races all over Colombia, despite the fact that Renaults weren't ideal for racing. But because they were cheap and reliable, almost everybody had one. In my head, I was picturing like a Renault Turbo 5. Uh-huh. This thing is That's way... That's a 5. I know. But I was like, you know, maybe it's a smaller one. Ooh. It's not... It's not the best looking it's car. It's not nearly as cool as you doesn't look either. fast. Yeah. No, but it does look like you could drive it as fast as you want 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Renault 4 was the most popular car in the country's history, and during the 1960s, it became fashionable to transform them into hot rods. Mm. Hell yeah. Then, in the 1970s, people started racing them in a series that became known as the Copa Renault Championship. Races started out at Bogota's Autodromo Ricardo Mejia, a 2.4-mile circuit shaped like a melted hand grip trainer. That's what? an interesting, wow. interesting visual. Oh, you know. Uh, yeah. But melted. But melted. What? So, maybe like, so there's uh-huh. like a corkscrew in it at some point? Oh, maybe. yeah. Maybe. Unfortunately, there's no way to ever find out. the championship was such an instant success that soon Renault 4 rally races spread throughout the country including Medellin the second largest city and in 1979 Pablo Escobar decided that he wanted to race hell yeah at this point Pablo Escobar was two years into the Medellin cartel Pablo could walk around in public without fear of being shot or arrested however he was also three years into his marriage with 18 year old Maria Victoria Hanau whose mother famously told her that she could only marry Pablo if she wanted to spend most of her life visiting him in prison. So it's likely that the average person wouldn't have known who he was, but they could have guessed where his money came from. He entered into the amateur division alongside several other drug traffickers turned race car drivers. And that year, the Copa Renault attracted so many traffickers that the participants started calling it the Coca Renault. That's clever. Uh, I'm in love with the Coco. I call it the Fago Renault. Fago Renault. Mm-hmm. I'm about to have another sip of this delicious red pop. You got to stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what does that taste like? It's uh, strawberry. It is strawberry. Aspartame. There's a strawberry. Aspar- aspartame? There's no aspartame. It's all shugs. You're telling me to stop drinking, Joe, but we've done this several times now on the show where we have something, a drink in front of us, it's, like the Red Bulls for yeah, the Red yeah, Bull yeah, episode, yeah. and I was like, I'm not going to drink the whole that thing. That was got, a wild episode. Yeah, we yeah. got jacked up. Yeah. If you put something in front of me, I will drink it. Yeah. Dude, you look in the bottle of one of the competing colas, there's a million ingredients. Yeah. This one only has one, two, three... Four, Four, five, five. six, seven ingredients. This is practically organic. Good. Let's do a high score for added sugars. Okay. I'm at 72 grams. Ooh. 72 grams? Okay. Dang. Oh, I'm at 69. Nice. nice. You win. Yeah. This is legitimately flat, though. Please try this. Just give it a try. I'm all not right, sick. All right, all right, I'm not sick, man. I'm not sick. Don't shoot. Tell me. <laughs> Tell me. Is it not the worst cola you've ever had? <laughs> you are such a bad spokesman. Hmm. It's like Michael Jordan being like, yeah, these shoes are not I've got to say, Joe, it's He pretty- did. On, on uh, David Letterman in the 80s, David Letterman's like, these are these are pretty ugly shoes. And Jordan goes, yeah, they are. Yeah, I think he's just being charming. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? I think that's the best cola I've ever had in my life. Oh, Vega. my God. <laughs> Guys, I'm pre-diabetic. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, we shouldn't have signed the contract. <laughs> but Pablo Escobar didn't just show up to races. For one thing, he sent a catering team ahead of time to pitch nice. a white tent and set up a lavish buffet, complete with the best champagne money could buy. Oh, yeah. That's sick. You knew Pablo was coming when the far-off sound of a helicopter slowly got louder. 
The other contestants and bystanders would have to batten down their supplies as Pablo Escobar's <laughs> private helicopter touched down on the nearest grassy knoll, sending debris flying in every direction. That's a funny bit. That's sick. He'd exit first, usually <laughs> escorted by a group of beautiful women. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> then his crew of cartel-adjacent friends would pile out of the helicopter, with each trafficker looking more terrifying than the last. <laughs> You got Ugly Pete. Yeah. Tiny got Joe. <laughs> disheveled Dan. Scary Steve. Yeah. Murder like, Matt. Well, <laughs> the gang included oh. Gustavo Gaviria, Pablo's cousin and mysterious right-hand man, and the Ochoa brothers, who would later run Pablo's billion-dollar operation. I, it's scarier watched, when they're related. Yeah, brothers, yeah. that means they was raised the same. Yeah, <laughs> that means they can flank you. Yeah. Clever Never want to be flanked. Clever brothers. They was, they was raised the same. They was raised the same. <laughs> <laughs> I.e., not well. Yeah. They came from the same place. <laughs> they was in the same room. It came as a two-pack. Two-pack. Rest in peace. At some point, Pablo's caravan would arrive. He always brought four Renaults and at least one support truck full of spare parts. One Renault 4 was his racing vehicle. One was for his cousin Gustavo, just in case he wanted to race too. <laughs> That's sick. The other two were spares if something happened, and they Smart. needed to change cars at the last minute. Pablo would help himself to as much food and champagne as he wanted before opening up the buffet to the rest of the rally, probably just to make sure he was in good favor with the rest of the drivers. Or at the very least, to remind them who really ran things. Pablo also smoked pot before the rallies, claiming that marijuana <laughs> enhanced his performance on the track. Yeah, maybe. We and tested that. That was the did. first donut video I ever worked on. Unreleased. Yeah, we had. That might be. No, the, it's released. No, it's out there. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. yeah. Dova's in it. Matt yeah. Cordova. And then you guys left the bong on the track, right? Yeah, and I had to oh, go yeah. back and get it. Yeah. But it does not, does not it help does your performance on the no, track. Performance. Not at all. I uh, still try it, though. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, he, like, called his. Uh, manager or something like that that was like one of the tests we had him do <laughs> uh, we had him call his mom his mom okay yeah yeah and about that performance pablo was actually a pretty skilled driver in fact after only six races he was ranked second overall on the championship leaderboard dang but there are some caveats to that pablo was slow on turns but he always made up for the time in the straightaways because his renault was visibly faster than every other car on the track Mm. I mean, that's not easy. You know what I mean? Like, you have the faster car, but, like, it's not, like, super easy to just be like, oh, I'm faster in the straight, so I'm faster than everybody. It is when you spend a ton of money making your car way faster. I don't think so. I think so. He still has to be pretty good. I mean, if it's supposed to be, like, an equal foot. But, look, you got a bunch of drug traffickers in this yeah. series already. I bet a lot of people are cheating in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I bet it, they probably let him pass. It's not like he's showing up to like the SCCA runoffs here, you know, mm -hmm. like in a spec Miata class. It's like they're, this is. Dude, I'm loving your specifics today. Thanks, man. Me too. The Fago has really probably opened up my third eye. <laughs> um, your brown eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about that f food dye. Uh, <laughs> he's not racing against like nerds. Okay. He's racing against other drug dealers. Yeah, he's not yeah. racing against nerds. He's racing against other drug dealers. Yeah. Not is, nerds. This is drug spec racing. And while it hasn't officially been proven, it was common knowledge that he intimidated inspection officials to overlook illegal modifications he was making to his cars. 
Allegedly, Pablo also paid a police officer to pull over his greatest rival, Avero Mejia, mm. the morning of a big race. The cop had Mejia detained on the side of the road for hours while he slowly checked and rechecked his car registration and other paperwork just to mess with him. Mejia barely made it to the race that day. Sounds Dang. like Jeremiah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if none of those tactics worked, he and his crew would just throw nails and spikes behind oh him God. on the track what? to take care of the other racers. It's All a right. lap. You got to come around to those yeah. spikes again. Is it? Oh, it's a rally. Yeah. Okay, never mind. So cheating helped him swerve into second place, a meteoric rise for any new driver. Many journalists covered him in the paper, though they didn't exactly mention his day job, mentioning that he got his start as a bicycle salesman and then later moved on to auto sales and real estate. One article even claimed Pablo exported flowers. A fellow competitor at the time, Julian Calle, said, I wonder if anyone really believed he did not sell drugs. <laughs> that one guy who just really so naive really wants yeah. to believe in the goodness of people yeah. it's like wow, I can't come on it. you guys are just being you guys are being mean man just, come on it's possible <laughs> it's possible pablo got so into racing that he started to financially support the development of local racetracks Hell in yeah. that's great for the community yeah he's a good guy one source <laughs> claims he also sponsored some up and coming drivers though it's unclear who that might have been but much as Pablo enjoyed racing, the novelty of the Renault 4 wore off after one season. Yeah, you want a faster car. Yeah. In 1980, he swapped the model for something a little flashier. A 1974 Porsche 911 RSR. Wow. One of the sickest. Yeah, I want one. <sighs> oh. I tell you what, fellas, don't want a Renault 4. Do want a 1974 <laughs> Porsche 911 RSR. <laughs> The one that was raced by Emerson Fittipaldi in the 1974 IROC series, as well as by different drivers in IMSA competition following that. Although Pablo made some notable adjustments to the iconic car. Which is the opposite of what you're supposed to do for the IROC series because they're all the exact same cars. Slant nose, Dang, tight. wide body, martini livery, piece of sauce, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> that thing's sick. Yeah. Oh, I want to be a drug dealer. <laughs> Get that little red skirt. Little red skirt. Ooh. Wait, James would have to wear a red skirt? I'd have to wear a red skirt if I was a drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> he gave it a slanted nose to resemble the Porsche 935, which was much more popular in racing at the time. He also gave it dark blue, light blue, and red stripes down either side to resemble Martini Racing's Formula One cars. And instead of racetracks, Pablo preferred to drive the car in hill climb events. Sick. Mm. Not just in Colombia, but around South America. Lots of hills. Yep. Gotta climb them. And as Pablo drove in bigger races, he met better drivers. At the time, Colombia's most famous local driver was a guy named Ricardo Londano. Londano was the same age as Pablo Escobar, but while Pablo spent the 70s rising to the ranks of a cartel, Londano was coming up in stock car races and motocross speed championships. Nice. He won almost every race he entered and was on track to become the best stock car race driver Colombia had ever seen. He was so sharp on the racetracks that his friends and fans started calling him Cuchilla, which roughly translates to razor blade. That's nice. it, dude. Cool Cuchilla is a tight name. If you guys started calling me razor, I would not complain. <laughs> okay, buddy. We'll keep it in mind. <laughs> James, James, we'll 
cannot start calling him razor blade. I know. The guy loves knives. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll take it as like a license to do things. The best part about knives is that they're <laughs> oh, tiny God. and small. You know? He also dreamt of being the first Colombian driver to race in F1. The problem Whoa. was okay. that the road to F1 was enormously expensive. And in a country like Colombia, it was nearly impossible for drivers to find funding unless they were born into a rich family. I mean, that's kind of the case everywhere. But luckily for Londano, Pablo Escobar was... A fan. Oh, nice. The two met at a hill climb race, and Escobar was so excited to meet Landano that he made a bet with him. Pablo said that he could finish the race within 15 seconds of Landano's mm. time, and Landano agreed. Pablo ended up finishing only eight seconds behind Landano, which he saw as a personal win. From the jump, Landano saw Pablo's passion for motorsport and thought he could probably convince Pablo to fund his career. From then on, Pablo and Landano struck up a friendship and soon became a business partner. You know what I realized? Like, uh, a race team is perfect for a drug dealer because you have a big trailer, mm -hmm. you can stuff a bunch of drugs in there, and you're driving all around the continent doing different races and stuff. Great distribution. You're also like laundering it at the same that time. Ex that exact scenario happened uh, over in the UK. There was a, a racing team in the 80s that hid a bunch of cocaine in their uh, race car, like in the spare tires, yeah. stuff like that, in their racing trailer. I feel like we've covered that on uh, some video we did like three years ago. But never on Pass Gas? I don't think so on Pass Gas. Let us know in the comments if you want to hear that story. Or psychically beam that Didn't request. We tell yeah, because now we're psychic after yeah. all this Fago that we've been drinking. Pablo began to financially back Ricardo's racing career in 1980. His debut was in the Sebring 12 Hours in Florida, which was part of the IMSA GT Championship. Londono drove a Porsche in the race, and even though most of the outlets reported it was a 935, the official registry lists a 911 Carrera. Either way, Londono finished in 26 plates out of 86 cars, which isn't too bad for a first go at a race, especially at Sebring. Sebring is a pretty gnarly track. Soon after, he drove in the 1980 Can-Am season. He didn't place in the top 10, but did well enough for Pablo to agree to back him for another year. In 1981, Pablo paid for Londano's plane ticket to the UK, where he ran at the end of the British Formula One Championship. So this is a lower tier open wheel series intended as a stepping stone into more serious motorsport. It's not Formula One. It's the British Formula One championship. That's confusing. Yeah, it is. Landano finished in seventh place, which was good enough to attract a representative from Ensign Racing, a now defunct British F1 constructor. Although their interest wasn't just in Landano, it was also in his backer, Pablo Escobar. Ensign had recently fallen on tough times. Of the 133 Grand Prix they raced in, their drivers had never finished better than fourth place. Their middling success put them in dire straits financially, so they struck up a deal. They'd sign Ricardo Londono as a driver if they could get access to Pablo Escobar's fortune. This thing is giving me jokes. It's just every time I drink it, it gives me... Yeah, what's the joke? Uh, someone asks you like how this team did. Uh-huh. You would say uh, they had a Medellin success. success. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Pablo loved the idea of being able to say that he owned his very own F1 team. He was in, which meant Ricardo was just one drive away from his dream. 
All he needed to do was pass the FIA's driving test to earn a super license, which was required to drive in Formula One. It's unclear, though, how Londano did on the driving test or whether he actually took it. During a practice session, he accidentally <laughs> rear-ended a fellow driver, Keke Rosberg, <laughs> and F1 denied him the super license. Although it's believed that the actual reason was that leadership was looking for any reason to keep Landano out of F1 because Bernie Ecclestone didn't want Pablo Escobar's money anywhere near the organization. Yeah, he already had his uh, shady shit going on. He didn't want it to He interfere. had his own thing, yeah. Either way, it was the end of Landano's racing career. He'd soon join Escobar's cartel and traffic drugs for the rest of his life. He was killed on cartel business in 2009. Whoa. Just before his 60th birthday. I thought you were going to say in like 83. I know. It's crazy. After Londano's death, tens of millions of dollars were confiscated from his estate, along with $10 million worth of vintage cars. That'd be a sick auction. As for Pablo Escobar, he only ever raced for a year or so in a few events around South America, including the Marlboro Cup in a Simca, a boxy French car reminiscent of his Renault days. The responsibilities of being a kingpin made it impossible for him to keep up with racing events. You know, that's just how it goes, man. Life gets in the way. <laughs> yeah. He had a family, <laughs> an international drug cartel. Uh, Pablo retired around the same time as Londano when he was about 30 years old. Retired from racing, not from dealing. While Pablo was forced to drop out of racing, his obsession with cars never went away. He spent millions building one of the largest and most impressive car collections to date. We know that he owned at least several dozen cars, but by most accounts, it was more like hundreds. Wow. Pablo's most famous racing car was the aforementioned modified Porsche 911 RSR, but he also owned a 1973 911 Targa and a 356. Nice. He also kept a suite of Mercedes-Benzes, most notably an S600 Pullman, a 300 SL Goldwing, and a 300 SL Roadster. For the S600, Pablo even peppered the side of the car with bullets so it would look exactly <laughs> like Al Capone's back in the 1930s. That must look, have doesn't been. that look like Al yeah. Capone's? <laughs> guys, guys, I've got a great idea. What if we go all back, yeah. we shoot my car, it'll be like Al Capone's. I don't yeah, think sure, Al Capone yeah. drove a Mercedes. I don't no. care, man. Just, just do it. His collection includes Cadillacs, <laughs> at least I've one. I've never done cocaine. I don't have a good cocaine impression. That's pretty good. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> His collection included Cadillacs, at least one DeSoto S8, a Rolls-Royce Phantom 1, and several Toyota Land Cruisers. The FJ40, FJ60, and FJ62 were his favorites. But the Land Cruisers were strictly for work. They handled the muddier, more rural Colombian roads, so he outfitted most of his cartel with them. Huh. It was common to see entire fleets of his land cruisers parading through the sketchier areas of Medellin. In fact, his cartel made them so iconic that the police started calling the cars Narcoyotas. <laughs> That's kind of how Low Truck was for a little bit. Yeah, Narcoyotas. Yeah, bad guy truck. Yeah. yeah. Low Truck looked like he was doing crimes. Yeah. Though, unfortunately, they made the cartel easy to spot, and Pablo had to eventually retire the Toyotas. Then there were the novelty cars that filled the garages of his multiple palatial estates. He kept a vintage blue Vartberg 311. Oh, yeah. Vartberg. Vartberg. Nice. The first car he bought for his fledgling... That looks like a Chevy. The first car he bought for his fledgling cartel when they first started trafficking. This thing looks dumb. Joe said that because it's parked next to a, a Chevy 1500 in the <laughs> picture we have. 
There's also a red Chevrolet upgraded with bulletproof glass and a few other James Bond-esque gadgets that he had custom Is this that car? The Chevy? Yeah. Uh-huh. It is? Mm-hmm. Oh, sick. Yeah, that thing's cool. The Vartberg, not my cup of two. <laughs> It's that's a Harry Potter car if I ever see Harry yeah, Potter that's ass a car. Easily ass car, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Registered Chugsville, USA. <laughs> <laughs> and just for fun, Pablo also had a fleet of motorcycles, including one previously owned by Frank Sinatra, old blue eyes himself. Cool. He had the 007 jet ski. Oh, that's it. Who loved me. Yes, dude. Private submarines. Oh, dude, this picture of him on the jet ski is so sick. I want a tattoo. That's where it's cool. Why is he wearing a shirt? (laughs) (laughs) It's like a dress shirt. (laughs) It's completely soaked. Maybe he was self conscious. Yeah, maybe. My nipples are hairy. (laughs) They got big dinner plate nipples. He had private submarines, boats, and planes. And yet, despite his extensive collection of luxury vehicles, towards the end of Pablo's life, he mainly drove around in a car disguised to look like a taxi. Mm. He found it was the most effective way to get around without attracting rival gang members, police, or the army, all of whom had a bounty on his head. I would have traveled around in a horse suit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. I saw this... (laughs) Like a horse gimp suit? Yeah. <laughs> I saw this TikTok and this guy was like, if you could be in a horse suit with any celebrity, who would it be? And would you be the front or the back? Uh, Let me know in the comments. That's really funny. Well, we can't be? pose that question without answering it. Uh, Zach Job. <laughs> And I'd be be the back. Nice. You get to grab onto that dump truck. Mm, No, Obama. (laughs) (laughs) What any any configuration he he wants? Yeah, whatever he wants, he's president. He can choose. (laughs) I feel like Obama would like commit to the bit, yeah, hundred percent, and do like clop clop. Yeah, yeah, he'd do the. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Let me be clear. Uh, Clop clop clop. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That's stupid. (laughs) Dame Judi Dench. Yeah. I'd be the back and I'd feed her a whole bunch of beans. (laughs) (laughs) And this is just a question of who do you want to touch their butt? Whose butt do you want to smell? (laughs) I'm not going to answer that. What celebrity's butt would you like to smell? Bobby Lee. We'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Throughout the 1980s, Pablo Escobar dominated the cocaine industry, becoming the seventh richest man in the world and earning himself the title of the King of Cocaine. But his illegal dealings did eventually catch up with him. Kind of. The long and short of it was that in 1991, Pablo struck an agreement with the Colombian government. He'd go to prison for five years and in exchange wouldn't be extradited to the United States for prosecution. But Pablo was allowed to build his own luxury prison, which he named La Cathedral. It included a soccer pitch, a bar, a jacuzzi, and a waterfall. Nice. Gotta have one of those. But after four of Pablo's lieutenants were tortured to death in La Cathedral, the Colombian government decided to move Pablo to a standard prison. 
He refused and escaped, by which we mean he walked out the back door in 1992. <laughs> There's a back door? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was what? on the lam for the rest of his life. The police finally caught up with him on December 2nd, 1993, the day after his 44th birthday. They trapped him on a rooftop, and a shootout ensued, and he was killed in a hail of bullets. I think I remember seeing a picture of this, and it's crazy. Once the news had broke that Pablo had been killed, rival cartels swarmed his estates and burned his homes, including his expansive car collection. Only a few cars survived the fires and are currently displayed in his surviving home in Medellin, which has since been turned into a museum. That'd be kind of cool to go to. Although if the full collection had survived, it would have been worth tens of millions of dollars at least. And there's a plaque next to his collection that reads, quote, Escobar's luxury car collection was a symbol of ostentation and his leadership in the underworld. It was the first to suffer the consequences of multiple wars. Only these scraps remain. If anything can be said about Pablo Escobar, it's that he was a legend, a larger-than-life figure whose deeds remain fascinating in pop culture even to this day. Given he was also a violent and terrifying narco-terrorist and one whose impact on the development of Colombia cannot be overstated. While many are horrified by the nature of his crimes, he remains a controversial figure who gave many, including Ricardo Londano, a chance at a better life. Until I mean, he was murdered. Until he... It, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. Like, yeah, he got to go to Britain, got to test F1, got yeah, to go yeah. to all these races, but, like, after that, he had to work in the cartel. Like, Ver he did... Until 2009. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know. Is that a better life? Is it? I don't know. I don't know. We don't know the ins and outs. The yeah, I, I'm sure he was just scared for his life. Well, yeah. most of the time. Yeah, probably. You don't want to live in fear. No. All right. Uh, that was our story this week. Uh, we got some listener mail. Oh, we got listener mail. Hey guys, this is from uh, Scott, Scott. In Pasadena, Maryland. Okay. Uh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I wonder if they Pasadena, have Maryland. Uh, okay, Scott. I have heard of the Pasadena here. Yeah. But uh, one in Maryland? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> First, I want to say I love the podcast, having listened to every episode, and thank you for bringing back the video format. Hi, Scott. Hi, Scott. You're welcome. <laughs> Here's Fago. Here's Fago. If you like video format, you can thank Fago. <laughs> Fago. Big 23 ounces of favor. Even though I'm a diehard Corvette racing fan, I have to thank the Viper GTSR for setting the bar for Corvette's racing C5R to match in the early 2000s. Hmm. A very cool note on the Viper and Corvette battle in the 2000 Daytona 24 hours is the Viper won the race overall, even though they were not in the top class. Oh. Reliability of the GT cars was way better than the new prototypes that year. With the exception of two wins later in the season, Corvette was on the coattails of the Viper for most of that season. This helped form the Corvette racing they are even today. The Eureka Viper team was one of the best in history of endurance racing. On a related note, I'd love to hear you all do an episode on Corvette racing, covering what it takes to create a competitive endurance racing team both in America and Europe, and the Never Give Up American Spirit, they brought to Le Mans to be able to win at their second attempt. Keep it juiced. Scott from Pasadena, <laughs> Maryland. <laughs> we did an episode on the Areca team, right? I think it was a Viper. So thank you for the background yeah. uh, info on Viper there, Scott. 
over there in Pasadena. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, uh, hit us up at pascas at donutmedia.com. We'd love to hear you uh, give more background or talk about lakes. Those are kind of the two genres of, of letters we dogs did around here. Dogs, too. Dogs as well. Oh, we got some dogs in next week's episode because it's Santa's coal bag. It's the holiday season, baby. Jingle, I, jingle, bitch. I can't jingle, wait jingle, for this. Bitch. Jingle, jangle. So stick around for that next week. I can't wait. Um, I'm all jacked up on Fago. I'm going to go throw up. Yeah. <laughs> Fago makes you throw up better than any pasta. Big thank you to our writer this week, Aaron Lan. Thank you to our producer, Christina Felsky. We got Nick Giamuso over there. And the return of Gavin Kinzel, new father. He's back in the stew. Congrats on the, on the child. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for stepping in for Gavin. All right. We'll see you next time. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.